0: everyone. Welcome to the Music of Life Church podcast. We are going to be breaking down the apologies versus confession episode. If you haven't heard it, please give it a listen. We're going to break it down so that you can help people who've been hurt by this topic. I'm Pastor Jonathan here with Pastor Joel. Howdy. Hey there.
1: Yeah, so how was that? That was great. That felt amazing. This is such an important topic. I I love that just nailing that this is fundamental Christianity point. Take direction from God, confess and repent when you don't. (laughs) And we covered, we covered the first half of point number two in the fundamental Christianity. So yes, I feel like apologies is so obviously, at least to me, it is such an obvious warping of, of God's doctrine and its man-made tradition. It's like, show me in the Bible where somebody says, In response to doing something wrong, I'm sorry. Right. Doesn't happen.
0: And this is a truly raw and real thing that is going on in our lives currently. We are, you know, like Pastor Joel and I are right in the middle of on a journey of living this that we won't go into too many details about, but that's, you know, I, I understand why you've been chomping at the bit to discuss this because this is something that is very prevalent in our culture and something that is affecting our lives pastor joel's and my life currently and it always does but but we're we're in the midst of something going on right now that is uh exciting and if this doctrine was fixed uh yeah there would be a lot a lot of uh repair
1: yeah because this is the first step to repair it's like the it person is. who did something wrong needs to admit it and you're right that I mean this isn't this is not just a topic and I'll even say this one of the reasons we've been able to do so many topics at such a such a a, a depth of quality in my opinion is because this isn't just stuff we've learned this is stuff we're living through definitely and and not just this episode with apologies. But going all the way back, you know, we we there's a lot of a lot of these topics. We do have a lot of doctrine understanding what these topics are doing, but we have a lot of experience with the damage that's happened in the church in response to the topics we're covering. And this one, I think, like you said, is very fresh. Mm-hmm. We you know, we aren't just saying that pastors are teaching to apologize and ask for forgiveness, right? This isn't just something we are hearing. This is definitely something we're experiencing.
0: Yeah. We, we, we hit the history of this topic. Say you're sorry. And in the response to doing something wrong is to say, we need to apologize, ask for forgiveness. Did you say you're sorry? And if you do that, you're covered. Right. Right. So the church has replaced confession and repentance with an apology or, you know, and that's one side, or you just don't do anything wrong anymore. If you're a believer, right? If you believe in Jesus, then either, you know, like there's two camps. If you're a Christian, then either say, you're sorry, ask for forgiveness or you're covered in the blood of Christ, blood of the lamb, you're good to go. And these are the two sides that we are currently dealing with to address the limitation side of say, you're sorry, which, which is really interesting because this is a law, right? These people are saying, this is a law. When you do something wrong, you need to, to yep. You have to say, you're sorry. And, and so here's a limitation, more limitations, right? Yeah. Yeah. And ask for forgiveness. Right. And when that person says, I forgive you, then they don't, I was watching a show. Um, on TV and there was some some girls that were picking a fight with another girl. They were in the office with the principal and the principal says, "Girls, I want you to apologize." The girl said, "We're sorry." to the girl that they that they were trying to bully. Yeah. Then the principal said to the girl who was bullied, "Do you accept their apology?" And she goes, "No, I don't." <laughs> yeah. And she goes. She said to the principal, "Do I have to accept their apology?" And the principal was like, "Um,
1: oh, no one's ever I, asked her that."
0: Yeah, I guess you don't have to. And then she goes, "Good. Well, then I don't." <laughs> and it was over. It was like this really, really awesome scene of,
1: "What? What did that do?" Yeah. What's the benefit? Yeah, I love that because that is a, that is a part that we didn't we didn't cover in the What the Flock half of this topic is this (laughs) this expectation to accept the apology right that is funny
0: but it is it's like the person who was wronged with these perspectives has to bear the pain of the interaction when they were wronged right that's why i love this topic is because you know when you're talking about I'm apologizing I'm saying that I feel bad or I'm saying that I'm just covered in in the lamb or the blood of the lamb I, if I did something wrong I am all I can always get off the hook yeah as yep. but as soon as I'm the one who someone does something wrong against I'm the one that's bearing the pain and the weight. And the suckiness of that interaction. Yep. And as soon as I go, no, 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 I want them to make up for it. If I'm in one of those two camps. Yeah, are you the bad guy
1: then? If you don't accept the apology, are you the bad guy now? Even though you were the one who was wronged, you're the bad guy for not accepting the apology. And really, that's that is even this. So the accept the apology is covered with the and ask for forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. So I say, I'm sorry. And then I ask you to forgive me, is really me trying to force your hand to accept the apology, mm-hmm. and and maybe you're not ready to forgive yet, and you, and you're the bad guy if you don't. Right, you're the you're the one not handling this like a Christian if you don't just immediately forgive me when I ask you to.
0: Boy, which I mean this this whole it's Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote is pretty spectacular
1: it sure is because it goes deeper than just like make sure you confess to God when you do something against God make sure you confess to a brother when you do something against a brother he really paints a picture of shouldn't it be easier if I wrong a brother to go to that brother where I could I I could know if I do something wrong against Pastor Jonathan he's been wrong before yeah. He'll be, he'll be empathetic to this. If I handle it well, he's bound to just respond well, because he's been wrong. Mm. No, we don't do that. Yeah, right. It should
0: be that it should be confessing our wrongs to someone who's a believer ought to be one of the easiest interactions that we have. Yeah, it should. Both sides, right? Both sides. Yep. So here's a question that I have for you, Pastor Joel. When I want to talk about pastor Richard Tater here for a moment. Okay. He called us, he called us heretics. Right. Why didn't we, or why didn't you, uh, or did you confront him about this?
1: Well, one, I'd say we, we indirectly confronted him every time he called. Okay. In our response, I'd say that, but, but here would be my, my answer to why, if, if I was going to argue why we didn't confront him at all, it would be because he never actually came to us with his issue to be for us to have the opportunity to be heard. Mm. So where this starts is we need to take a step back as if we're only looking at this through the lens of. Pastor Tater trespassed against Joel and Jonathan by calling them heretics. We're missing the, the the initiating stimulus to this interaction. Cause what really happened is we said something that he didn't like. He took offense to something we were teaching. Mm-hmm. So we're doing our podcasts, we're talking about all these episodes, all these different topics. And he's offended by something we taught. So where this whole thing fell apart is by him not confronting us well and asking us, he made statements, he judged us, he projected on us instead of coming to us like a brother and asking us to explain ourselves. Hmm. So that's where it fell off the rails where if, so basically we had this, interaction with him where he just calls us a heretic judging us which really proved he wasn't handling this like a believer Hmm. so in that situation then we would immediately forgive him which we did so we we would unconsciously confront him through responding to his his phone calls but when somebody just in one step after me teaching something concludes without coming to me for further understanding that I'm a heretic, that person isn't handling this the way that God would want them to. So my response is to just forgive that person.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, Jesus wasn't going around initiating interactions with the Pharisees of people that believe that he was a heretic. People that believe that he was, you know, a, a blasphemer he wasn't walking around but they but they were wronging him oh yeah they were wronging him so that would be Jesus essentially saying well we don't he doesn't really see them as a believer
1: yeah. and you can even see you know so Jesus would have these really great in-depth conversations when people would come to him to understand mm-hmm. like the disciples like with the parable of the sower you know they're like whoa like you just blew my mind. Can you explain what that means? What's he do? He sits down and he may confront them. Like, come on, you guys, you guys still don't get this. I've been mm. I've been telling stories like this for a while now, but he still sits down and is like, "Well, here you go. Here's these four types of seed." The sword with the uh, the Pharisees when he does have interactions with them, it's usually really brief. It is confrontational, but. What I'm seeing with Christ is most of the time he's interacting with the Pharisees, he's not alone. Hmm. The religious leaders, not just the Pharisees, but all the religious leaders who are coming after him and attacking him, he's with his he's with his disciples still. And I think for the most part, those interactions are still for the benefit of the people following him hmm. more than they are him trying to benefit the religious leaders. I think Jesus's goal with the religious leaders is to end the interaction as quickly as possible with the least amount of injustice happening so that he can move past it. Jesus had a job to do and he wasn't messing around when he was on earth. It was, he was, in my opinion, when I read Jesus's story, he was all business. He was going from, yeah. from point A to point B, taking direction from the father. He wasn't Wasting time. He wasn't just lollygagging. He had things to do. He had things to accomplish. Mm -hmm. He had people to interact with. He had disciples to develop. And anytime the religious leaders or anybody came after him attacking him, he did what was the most efficient and effective way of ending that interaction so he could move past it. Nice. His job wasn't to come and to convert these people who were attacking him, his Mm. job was to come and to die for the sins of men.
0: Yeah that just kind of seems exhausting if, if, and, and I, I guess for me, like, I didn't believe that pastor Dick did wrong us and maybe I'm missing something here, but I don't feel like pastor Dick calling me a heretic was even him trespassing against me. And like you said, he didn't come to me to say, you know, pastor Jonathan, I feel wronged by you he didn't come to us and say that. No. And I don't see Jesus chasing people down saying, "Hey, you wronged me in this way or that way."
1: No, I don't either.
0: But if your brother so but if my brother trespasses against me, I should go and ta- and and tell him. So I guess that's something that I'm sorting out right now is when should I go to my brother when I feel trespassed against? But I didn't do that with Pastor
1: Dick. So that would be either you're saying him calling you a heretic isn't trespassing against you, or he's not your brother. That, and that would, be would... The, that would be the way to resolve that. Okay. Because what you because because it, it's cool. What you just did is you you uh, you exposed a contradiction. It's like okay if I didn't confront him for this, it says two things. Either I don't see him as a Christian or I wasn't trespassed against. Or I'm not doing what the word of God says.
0: Well, that's definitely not the last one.
1: We <laughs> don't want to admit that. It's, it's definitely not. Yeah, and, and maybe that's what we need to consider is, wait, should we have confronted him more sharply than what we did
0: yeah and that would go back to did did like uh did we actually confront him could we say that we did
1: go to him and that's where i mean that's where i'd say the first half of my response to that question which was great is uh you know because what we want to do here is make sure we're applying these these principles to our own lives and
0: definitely we're going to do
1: a podcast we need to make sure we're examples of this i would say we did mm. unconsciously i think we confronted him to the level that he confronted us he came and called onto our show he made these statements he hung up and we responded to his calls by sharing what we thought and felt uh, very much an unconscious confrontation to the things he would that he would share So I could argue that we did confront him and uh, in the same manner that he confronted us, Mm -hmm. which would be just, but then, you know, I, and then to be contrastive though, it's like, why wouldn't we have, it's because he wasn't acting. Now I'll say this. I'm not saying he's not a Christian. I'm not saying he wasn't a Christian even back when he was saying that, but I could say this. It didn't seem like he was acting like a believer at the time.
0: So can you treat someone as an unbeliever? So by you treating someone as an unbeliever, you're not saying that they are or are
1: not a believer. That's a great clarification. I'm not. Okay. I'm I'm just trying to gauge and analyze based on the behavior that I'm seeing from in a person, how I ought to treat them. So this is really about how I treat another person. Okay. And I'll, and I'll say this. Ultimately, it it is so that I can love that person the way they need to be loved. Mm. The reason we treat a believer and an unbeliever different is because the way to love and reach that person is different. Because really what we're saying is a believer can be reached internally when they do something wrong. The Holy Spirit can speak to them internally so I confront them, that gives God an opportunity to speak to them in an area that maybe they were blind to before I said something. Mm -hmm. Doing that to an unbeliever doesn't work because an unbeliever doesn't have the Holy Spirit within them. So the best way I can reach an unbeliever is through external means. What's that Mm -hmm. look like? Forgiving them. Then God can use that injustice to reach them from their circumstances, their external sources. So really me, tr- me treating a person, whether they're an unbeliever or a believer, isn't me judging them, it's me trying to determine what's the best way I can love that person.
0: Awesome. So it's more, it's and the focus is much more about how do I help them? Yes. what is the, what is the way that i can help them so we're not say, we're not judging someone's salvation because we're not we're just literally saying hey we want to be we want to have something that's governing how we treat this person differently than just how we feel we should treat them right so when we say we're going to confront them or forgive them regardless the principle you know, higher than that, or the principle that is directing all of that is, is the words of Jesus in terms of how we should love and help that other person. Right. What is going to help them make progress towards God? If right. it's a believer, it's to confront them. If it's an unbeliever, it's to forgive them. And either way, it's this is what's going to help them make progress towards God. Awesome. Um, that's really cool. So can you go through the, the, uh, I mean, well, let me just mention this again, fundamental Christianity, dude, that is so epic. Right. It's so simple. It's so powerful. Take direction from God, confess and repent when you don't
1: <laughs> dude, One two punch, right?
0: Dude, that it just rocks my world. Every
1: time I hear that, I can't, I cannot hear that enough. I know every time I hear it too, it settles me and it, I, I feel like I'm enlightened through it. Yeah. It just kind of brings everything into like this focus of like, yeah. okay, I don't have to have 14 thoughts that I'm trying to manage all at once. It's just, what's God telling me to do? Confess and repent when I don't. It's just, yeah, it's epic.
0: And what a great, what a great guide to helping people make progress as well in terms of taking direction from God where it's like, what is God telling you to do? What can you hear his voice? Can you hear all of that? Like that's opening up a whole, you know, kind of step one to be able to help people. Right. Is we ought to be helping people learn how to do that. Um, which I don't know how many churches out there are helping actively helping people hear from God more, which is why I'm really excited to hear about Pastor Richard Tater's journey to see if he starts hearing from God a little bit more clearly during the restoration process, because yeah. that, is, that is the way that we help people hear from God.
1: Yeah, it's what we're doing. I love the analogy you taught me with is really in the restoration process that we've been using, that we got from the Bible, the foundation of it is teaching these doctrine from God.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And doctrine is like musical chords, right? Right. And the more chords I have, the better a musician, the better ear I'll have for music. Mm-hmm. It's really the same way. Doctrine is its own language, even. You can see it that way. And the more doctrine I have, the more language, it, it, God, God is speak to, speaking to us through doctrine. Mm-hmm. And the more doctrine I have, the better I'm going to hear from him. The more chords I have, the more music, uh, musical ability I'll have. Not only being able to perform and allow it to come through me, but also my ear for it will grow as well. Mm-hmm. My ear for this different language, my ear for these musical chords will improve. And when I hear something different than what the world sounds like or what my flesh sounds like, it's probably God. I'm starting to learn what God's voice sounds like because of the doctrine. So yeah, I'm looking forward. I I thought it was great how Pastor Cater reached out. Even as a pastor, we do. We want to develop leaders here at Music Life Church Kimberly and That doesn't just mean taking people who aren't leaders and turning them into leaders. It also means inviting leaders, maybe people who've been pastoring for decades. Mm -hmm. I've done it before. I've brought a pastor who's in his 60s through restoration and it changed his life. Mm -hmm. So to see Pastor Tater do that makes me really look up to him because I know it's, it's a humility move. Not only to admit he was wrong to us, but to take a step of progress of, of reaching out and asking for our help through restoration. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. And just, in just a short amount of time from him calling us a heretic to him responding the way he did in that, in that phone call this week. Wow. He made a ton of progress in my mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah this it's very rare very rare and very excellent response from pastor tater it is so in this the music of life church podcast we talk about how in these topics people's the confidence in themselves their self-esteem gets exposed
1: yeah
0: um in relation to these topics so can you go through uh can you go through them in relation to uh to self-esteem the categories that present themselves in response to the topic pj
1: i'd love to these self-esteem spectrum from low mid to high in this episode is going to sound a lot like the humility episode we did and remember mrs tater called recently and actually said she listened to it she saw all the archived episodes we had she listened to the humility episode it really helped her i encourage everybody listening right now if you haven't listened to all the episodes that we have backlogged, they're all available for you. But this may sound familiar, not only because we're talking about self-esteem again, but because it is very much, you know, with humility, having the ability to consider I'm wrong versus in a, a confession and an apology is how do I handle when I am wrong? They're gonna sound a lot alike. So for instance, low self-esteem is somebody who is trying to avoid the tension of being wrong so this person is because if i'm wrong i think pastor tater covered it what what he was wrong in was equating being right with righteousness Mm. that's this big mistake that a lot of christians and a lot of pastors and leaders in the church are making my being right and righteousness are equated and it's like those, those are not the same thing so Someone with a low self-esteem, you could see that person as equating being right with righteousness. So they guard against the tension of being wrong. Hmm. Someone in the mid self-esteem, they're at a point where they have enough self-esteem where they're not necessarily guarding against being wrong. However, they still don't quite know what the right step is when I am wrong. So they do the best with what they have these people they would recognize someone with low self-esteem and they they may think i remember what that was like i'm glad i've grown past that but they would be looking up to the people who have high self-esteem and thinking i really want what they have so these people are at this crossroad where they are trying to find the right answer and they just don't have it yet mm. But then that's the high self-esteem people are the ones who, and this is this we've covered in the humility episode and in other episodes. These people don't equate whether they're right or wrong with who they are. Who you were created to be is your soul. That is who that is who God made you. Whether you're right or wrong, that that entity has value. A person with high self-esteem recognizes that they see the person God created them to be, as valuable. They have a high confidence in that entity, in that uniqueness within them, even to the point where they know when I'm wrong, it's an opportunity for me to remove all of the crap within my vessel that's blocking that uniqueness to come out of me. So these people may even celebrate when they're wrong. Hooray, oh, nice. I'm wrong again, right? Yeah,
0: cool. Which leads us to the ultimate answer. And in this podcast, we can call it our conjunctive answer. Yeah. Can you break that down, PJ?
1: Yeah, so I'll do the same thing with this. I'll talk about an apology and then I'll talk about a confession. Awesome. An apology is simply a man-made tradition in place of confession. An apology is my method of moving past my wrongdoing that really benefits nobody but me. Hmm. But it is man-made. It's not in the Bible. So the ultimate answer with what we ought to do when we do something wrong, this first step is when I'm wrong, I admit it or I confess when I'm wrong. I confess that's the, that's the conjunctive right there. So the freedom the freedom side, when I'm wrong, mm-hmm. is met with the one limitation. I admit it. Mm-hmm. There you go. Freedom with one limitation. Awesome.
0: And that confession is those three parts.
1: Right. We've And we've covered this, the full confession. We call it a full confession is admitting mm-hmm. what I did, why I did it and sharing that I don't want to do it again.
0: That's awesome. And so one of the things I wanted to point out was we've, we don't say in the church traditionally what we did wrong. We don't s- traditionally state why we did what we're d- what we do wrong, but we do traditionally say that we feel bad. Yeah, that's doing good. it.
1: Another example of how we as human beings are trying to trying to hurry up and skip to the last step of something just so we can move past it.
0: That was going to that was one of my thoughts is like why why do we do that? I think that that makes total sense and I feel like you know, you talked about making up for the wrong just because I feel bad. And I feel like what's going on in the church is when I feel bad, that means I've already paid for a debt. That's that my is, repentance. Is exactly. Bad. So if I feel bad, that should replace what I did and why I did it.
1: Right. Yeah, I agree.
0: But it makes sense why the church is very, you know, in, in my opinion, is very focusing on feelings. So those people who have, um, are very good at showing what's wrong. The people that are saying that things don't make sense have all left the church. <laughs> and what we're yeah. left with a lot of times is people who feel guilty, and that, you know, the emotion is very important to them. And those are the people that have stuck around
1: the people who can bear the pain of that guilt and the people who can emotionally help you rise above it.
0: Yeah, and it's just like, that's what the, the people who've stayed are the people that seem to value that higher, the majority of people. Right. And the the church is missing out on being able to go forward. And I can see how that man-made tradition has really affected our church and caused people that could help us not be wrong in the future to leave. Well, thank you, Pastor Joel. Thank you to everyone who's listening. This has been the Music of Life Church podcast. If you have any questions or comments, or you'd like to hear a certain topic, please let us know. We'll see you next time.